How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Those are verses 103 through 105 of Psalm 119. The verse is appointed for today, Wednesday, June the 16th, 2021, are Psalm 119, verses 97 to 120. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thank you for being along today. We continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, and also in the book of Acts, and also the Gospel of Luke today. So we're continuing the, the narrative of Samuel's birth and uh, growth into the role that he'll ultimately play in the kingdom, which is sort of the last of the judges, the one who anoints the first two kings of Israel. He is a pivotal player in Israel's history. And so here, now we're told, he's remembered that his mother had him uh, and then gave him to the Lord, or lent him to the Lord for all of his life. And so he was given to the priest, Eli, and there he ministered before the Lord, doing whatever little boys did in the temple at that time. It's not clear what Samuel would have been doing, but it is clear from what we're going to read here what the sons of Eli were doing. And and whoever wrote this doesn't beat around the bush, doesn't uh, soft-pedal anything, says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Pretty simple. They did not know the Lord. You know, and, and you wonder how in the world of priests... Um, kids especially in Judaism where you're born to the priesthood you're not you know you're not drafted into it but if you're a son of a priest then then that you don't know the lord is at least partially <laughs> the responsibility of your father the priest and so Eli who is the priest at Shiloh has failed to instruct his children or failed to oversee his children as they minister here before the lord the custom of the priest with the people was then that any man, when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. We had no right to do such a thing. All the fork brought up out of the, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. So they were living, well, it wouldn't be high on the hog because... Jews uh, keep kosher, which means they don't eat pork. But they, these guys were, were taking the best for themselves. They were actually the kind of kings, and they weren't kings, they were priests, but they were acting in a way that the, the word of God through Samuel to the people when they wanted a king sounds a lot like these men. They treated the Lord's um, sacrifices and, and the things that were to be holy to him with incredible disrespect. It's just like these people are having a meal here, and I'm going to come take the best portions of it. They would continue to do all these things like this. Before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the men who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. He liked it on the barbecue. He liked to have uh, put it on the grill and eat it that way rather than eating the boiled meat. I mean, they're just they're, all they're doing is serving themselves. They're treating God's... Um, priest, the, the priesthood that God gave to them through inheritance, they're treating it with absolute contempt. They, they don't care. It, it's, it's nothing to them. That they're, they're dishonoring God, but at the same time what they do when they're in those roles is they teach others to dishonor God. They're treating this as if it were nothing at all. 
And so the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They broke all the laws of sacrifice and offering and, and just didn't care at all, treated everything as though it were nothing. And Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. And they'd return home. And she did indeed have other children. She had three other sons and two daughters. And here is Samuel growing in the presence of the Lord here in the temple under the leadership of this man who is no leader at all. He is no priest of God. It's his role, but he's not fulfilling the role because it's meant to be more than just a perfunctory kind of thing. But even in the ceremonial aspects, they're not getting it right. They don't care about those things. So Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it's no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they wouldn't listen to the voice of the Father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. You remember that there's a lot of similarities there with language that's used in the Exodus for um, what God did by hardening Pharaoh's heart. Now, did God do it? Did, did God say, oh, I'm going to allow these, I, I want these people to do these things? No, they had the option of not doing these things. But once we begin to defy the Lord, and once we begin to, for our hearts to turn cold against Him, then our hearts become hardened. And the way God could harden somebody's heart is not to um, discipline them in such a way that they begin to understand and be broken like you'd break a horse when it does the wrong thing. And now the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. So while the people know that the sons of Eli are worthless, Samuel is growing, maturing, and finding favor with the Lord and also with man. He's the guy, obviously, at this point you can see that he's the one who's going to actually become the next priest. And so... We've got these useless people, and, and Eli needs to do more than just speak to them and say things. He needs to be more forthright, and he needs to be more forceful in what he's doing. It's his job to protect God's altar. It, it's, it's his job to uphold the sanctity of the office. It's his role and responsibility first to teach his sons and then to teach the people, and and. My mentor, Chuck Murphy, had a thing that he said all the time, everything you do teaches. And so when he allows his sons to treat the Lord's offering with contempt, then what he's doing is he is teaching people that this doesn't really matter, that it's mostly just play acting, and then it can all be ignored. All the words of the Lord can be ignored. And so this it, it pairs nicely <laughs> with Psalm 119, which is an ode to the law, which is to say that, that it is perfect. And that it's a good thing for me to know your law. Here, the priests are teaching that it doesn't matter. 
that none of this actually matters at all. They're teaching them to treat everything with contempt. If you can treat the offerings with contempt, the, the, the way that people come to be reconciled to God for these, with these sin offerings, or the, the way that they want to celebrate reconciliation with God, or that they want to make thanksgiving offerings to God, what these men are teaching is this is all just nonsense and silliness. It doesn't make any difference. There's nothing holy about God if there is such a thing. You know, That's kind of the way that they're treating all of this. And so they're treating it in such a way that the people have no earthly idea what kind of God they're serving because they don't know because the priests aren't showing them. No matter what they said, they're showing them something else. And so it's important that we not be utter hypocrites. As Christians, we are a kingdom of priests. Every single person is a kingdom of priests. Do you know who your parish is? Who is it that you're ministering to? Who is it that God has given you to minister to? And it begins at the home. and goes outward from there. And we seem to have no concept of that nation, uh, the kingdom of priests idea. But it's important that our lives are in line with what we say we believe. Jesus has, you remember yesterday they came and they tried to trip him up and in order that they could turn him over to the civil authorities, they tried to get him to renounce paying taxes to Caesar. And today, it's a different group of people that come and these are the Sadducees and they come and they don't believe in the resurrection to start with. And so they ask him a question and say, and Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. And afterward, the woman also died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. They don't believe in the resurrection to start with. That's the first place we have to start. So this question is being asked, obviously, in some sort of a mocking, stupid way. If you don't believe in the resurrection to start with, then you haven't given it enough thought to understand that, that this life is not a complete and perfect analog for the next. Um, and Jesus' answer was, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore. So they're not going to be fruitful and multiply. Because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Well, so I have, I know that I have made people upset in the past when I've said this, but we're not all children of God. We are creatures of God. And here Jesus, in the way that he answers this, makes it clear. He says, the ones who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection of the dead, right? And then ends with, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. The children of God are those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead. Those who believe in Jesus. Those who accept him as their Savior, their Lord, and their King. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush when he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now he's not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. And then some of the scribes, who would not have agreed with the Sadducees anyway, said, Teacher, you've spoken well. In other words, what they're saying is, hey, that's the best answer we've ever heard to that whole stupid Sadducee not believing in the resurrection thing. And so Jesus just 
confronts this whole piece of nonsense and, and says, no, you, you're treating this, you're treating important doctrines like the resurrection, you're treating it with utter contempt, and I can show you in one verse that it's true. And it's, there's got to be later, <laughs> when those guys appear before the throne, it's going to be a horrible moment for them to look and go, oh my gosh, it's that guy. He's the one sitting there. It's, we've got to treat God's doctrines, these, these important doctrines, have to be treated with great respect and handled with great care. We can't throw those things away. We can't throw away the things that Jesus clearly taught again and again and again. We can't walk away from these things. That's the reason that in Acts, in Acts 15, when, when they're trying to figure out what do we do with the Gentiles, do we have them circumcised, what do we do here? What do we require of them? That, that they only require a few things as truly important. And, and it is important. It says don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Don't eat anything with the blood in it. And watch out about sexual immorality. I mean, they didn't make it terribly difficult, but they did say these are the central doctrines and the central tenets of the faith. These are the things that distinguish us from other people. And these are the things we, we need to be most careful about. And so there's certain kinds of ethics that we need to be aware of. Because eating meat sacrificed to idols is, is worshiping another god. It's participating in the worship of another god at best because you ate this. And then the, the thing with the blood in it is because the life is in the blood. It's exactly what God says. And so life itself is a sacred thing. And so you can't take the blood of an animal into your body. You can't eat the blood that way because it's, it's mixing and commingling types of life. And then sexual immorality would fall within that same basic guideline. So, and then in Acts... Now we get the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we've, we've gone from the holy things for holy people to now God's pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. And so we get this recitation of all the people who are there. And so they're gathered together. And we don't know if there's 120 of them. We don't know if there's 12 of them. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared as to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dealing in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. It's Pentecost, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. And so it's a harvest celebration, primarily at this point in time. Since then, there's come to be other things celebrated as well, like the giving of the law. So it's, it's important to recognize why these people are there. They're there because this is one of the festivals they're commanded to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. But it's a harvest festival. It's quite different from Passover. This is a, a time of celebration when people come together this way. And so at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each was hearing them speak in his own language. So they're bewildered and then they're amazed and astonished. They said, aren't all these people speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, 
said they're filled with new wine. Remember, it's the celebration that would include things like new wine because it's the first fruits of the harvest. And so we're having new wine here. And so what they're basically saying is they're still drunk from last night. But they're asking the right question. Those other people are. And this, what does it mean? Because it's not just a cool, interesting event. God doing something neat to get people's attention. No, it means something. And so then Peter begins to speak. And he explains what's going on here. It's, it's, let's be known to you and give no, give an ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, said, because it's only the third hour of the day. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from Joel, and he quotes about the outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters prophesy. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. Male servants and female servants, even. And he's explaining what's happened here. And it shall come to pass that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this is that moment, Peter says. It's the moment that Joel prophesied. You see it? Do you see what's going on here? You came because you heard something and now you see things and you still hear things. Do you understand what it is that's going on here? God's doing a holy thing. This isn't somebody who's drunk. Mm -mm. Nope, God's doing something brand new. And he's pouring his spirit out on all flesh. Not just those of us who are gathered here, but he is doing this new thing. And, and you would have to be incredibly excited to see the first fruits of that new thing that God's doing here. And he's jumping out of the box from the law into spirit. And it's an exciting thing to see. Make of prophecy what you will. But you need to pay attention. We need to hear prophetic words. We need to hear what God's planning to do because he says he never does anything without telling his servants the prophets first. And so be careful what we do with the things of the Lord and be careful not to mock those things that we don't understand.